What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Home Field Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Dabro. So in today's episode, we'll go over a few topics. We'll first start out with Game 4 of the NBA Finals between the Lakers and the Heat. They just wrapped that up not too long ago. We'll also dive into what we talked about on Monday, except for the AFC. We'll focus on the NFC, and we'll go through the report card for each team in the NFC through the first four weeks of the season. And then at the end of the episode, we'll dive into music today. Unfortunately, one of Rock's greatest guitarists, Eddie Van Halen, passed away. And then we'll dive into one of the worst top 10 lists I have ever seen. It's in regards to the top 10 music acts coming out of California. So let's get into it, you guys. Before we really get into the episode today, there is no way in hell I wasn't going to play something by Van Halen. I think it would have been disrespectful if I didn't. So, with all that being said, though, let's dive into this Game 4 matchup between the Heat and the Lakers. Like I said earlier in the intro, they just wrapped it up not too long ago. And from Game 4, the Lakers beat the Heat 102-96. to So now the Lakers hold a 3-1 series lead, and they are one game away from winning the NBA Finals. So... Just to kind of recap this game, this game was super defensive. Both teams were, I wouldn't say struggling to hit their shots. It's just the defenses on both sides were playing pretty well. I thought a lot of the shots that were made were mostly contested, and they were difficult shots to hit. So I have to give credit to both of the coaches. Both coaches had a good defensive game plan coming in, and it showed throughout the entirety of the game. So... Really, I thought in the first half, once again, the Lakers struggled with turnovers again, especially LeBron. I think through the first half, I think LeBron only had eight points and he had five turnovers. And if you're the Heat, that's the best thing that you can get going forward. I mean, that's what worked in game three. The Lakers turned the ball over 20 times and it ended up hurting them. And the Heat ended up winning that game by, I believe, 13 points. I believe it was like... 117 to 102 I might have the score wrong but I could check it later but in this game it was a little bit different the Lakers weren't as turnover happy they still had about 15 turnovers this game but they were able to make some key shots late and really I thought at the end I thought some some different players for the Lakers made some key shots I thought KCP was really big throughout the entirety of the game, especially in the first quarter and at the end of the game. And then Rondo, even though that he struggled from the field, I think he only had two points from the field. He was huge on the offensive rebound side of the ball, and he was a great distributor like he's been throughout the entirety of his career. So if you're the Lakers, it's definitely nice to see these role players step up in big moments. And it wasn't just KCP and Rondo that came up with huge moments in the game. There were some shots that Kuzma hit throughout the throughout the course of the game that were big. There were shots that Markeith Morris hit. He hit a couple threes today that were big in certain situations. 
And then Alice Caruso, kind of same thing. Just if he gets an open look and he has a decent shot with no contest, he'll make it maybe about 50% of the time. And he was able to knock down a couple shots. So as far as LeBron and AD go, LeBron definitely stepped it up in the second half. And it definitely helped the Lakers moving forward because when it got close in, late into the fourth quarter, LeBron was able to get some decent looks and then get to the free throw line just because he was in attack mode. And I believe he shot about like five or six free throws, ended up scoring 28 points altogether. And then AD, he did play better in this game than he did in game three and ended up essentially hitting the game icing shot, hit a three-pointer with about 30, 35 seconds left. And that gave the Lakers a nine-point lead. And then at that point, the game was pretty much over. So I thought the one thing that the Heat did well against the Lakers is they still have Anthony Davis struggling in certain situations just because that they're putting a lot of attention on him, whether it's just switches that they get on him to get a favorable matchup on him or if they're just trapping him. Whatever Eric Spolster has drawn up on the defensive end against Anthony Davis it has worked the last two games, but in this game, Anthony Davis was able to make some clutch shots at the end that proved to be the difference maker. So I think if, if you're looking at this from the Heat, the Heat definitely had an opportunity to win this game. There were multiple points where if they just get a couple stops on the defensive end, and then if either Jimmy Butler or Tyler Hero get open looks, this could be a completely different game. And I think there was a point where Jimmy Butler was really hot in the first half, but he missed like the first four or five shots to start the third quarter. And it seemed like he wasn't in rhythm the second half. It really wasn't until late into the fourth quarter where he really started making an impact. And to be honest with you, the player that really kind of kept them in it was Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero with his ability to get get some good shots off and even despite the fact that like some of them were fadeaways some of them were hot were I remember he had one shot where it was just a crazy floater that he shot over LeBron I believe just for a 20 year old to keep knocking down these shots he I mean he scored 21 points made a huge impact for the team and not only did he make some shots Duncan Robinson also made some shots Bam Adebayo came back this is his first game back since re-aggravating that shoulder earlier in the season uh, earlier in the series so I think really the one the one person that could have made a little bit more of a difference was probably Jimmy Butler in the second half. I mean, he scored 22 points, but after the first half, he was already around 15 points. He just didn't really make that much of an impact in the second half of the game. It just it just seemed like he was out of rhythm like I was saying earlier and it just didn't seem like he had to go out and get 40 points like he did in game 3. I think he was expecting a little bit more from his teammates, but I mean, his teammates were there. It's just Jimmy just missed some shots in the second half. So with that being said, that series is three to one. And I believe they have an extra day of rest. So I think they're playing on Friday. I don't think they're playing on Thursday. I, if I have to, let me look it up real quick. I want to say that they're playing on Friday. Yes, they are playing on Friday. So game five will be on Friday at nine o'clock. And if I had to say going into this game, I think the Heat have nothing to lose at this point. They have to go balls to the wall when it comes to intensity. 
and it wouldn't surprise me if Jimmy Butler goes for another 30, 35 point game. I think what he'll do is kind of similar to what he did in game three. He is definitely going to be aggressive. He's going to drive into the lane and he's going to try to get to the free throw line. It's one thing about his style kind of reminds me of James Harden in a way. Just when he drives to the basket, he is looking for contact. It's just that I like Jimmy Butler a little bit more than James Harden because I just think James Harden is kind of, I don't know, just I don't like the way that James Harden's played. I, I think his, I think James Harden's style is kind of soft, but that's just me. But with Jimmy, Jimmy is aggressive pretty much most of the time, it, even despite the fact that he didn't get super aggressive in the second half of game four. He's always really been in attack mode this series, and it serves the Heat well when he is aggressive and gets it a line. And not only that, if he's able to drive into the lane, he can be able to kick it out to Jay Crowder, kick it out to Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. And if those guys get open looks, they have the ability to knock them down. So I think if Jimmy Butler remains aggressive like he was in game three and they show good defensive intensity, I think that they'll they'll do fine in game five. I'm going to pick the Lakers, though. I think the Lakers are going to be in a situation where they probably want to wrap this series up as quick as they can. And I think it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if LeBron really goes into a tap mode if the game is close. Even if they're down going into like the fourth quarter of game five, it, depending on how much they're down, I think they're going to go for broke and they're going to try to get this done. I mean, if the game's out of reach, then they'll probably just play for game six. But... I think if they could wrap this series up in five, like they have the other playoff series throughout this playoff run that they've been in, they should definitely go for it. So it's going to definitely be a close game. I don't know if it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to kind of be similar to what game four was. It's going to be a defensive battle. It's going to be it's going to be tough to score points in game five. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if the team that ends up winning barely hits a hundred points or barely scratches a hundred points. So it'll be, it'll be a tough game to watch, but I'm going to say the Lakers get this in game five and then they win the NBA finals. So we might talk about that a little bit later in the week if I decide to drop another episode. So, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. So moving forward, we are going to focus on the topic that we talked about on Monday So instead of the AFC, we are going to focus on the NFC and we are going to go down each division and give each team in that division a grade based on what they've done through the first four weeks of the season. So we'll first start with the worst division in the NFC and it is the NFC East. So, I mean, if it were up to me, I would just give the whole division an F. I mean... It's that bad. The Eagles are currently the number one team in the NFC East at one, two, and one. And the the team has been shaky to say the least. The team has been inconsistent. Carson Wentz has been shaky. He's he's missing some easy throws. Now they did get their first win of the season last week against the 49ers. The 49ers almost got a uh, hail mary at the end of the game, but I believe. One of the corners, I forget the guy's name, knocked it down, and the he was able to secure a win for the Eagles against the 49ers. But outside of that, 
the Eagles have just been struggling. Their their first game of the season, they lost to Washington. Got beat down pretty good against the Rams in Week 2, and then they tied against Joe Burrow and the Bengals in Week 3. So as it is right now, they are 1-2-1. and one. Moving forward, I don't know really what to expect from this team, let alone the whole division. So I think at this point, just... It's not going to get any easier. I mean, they play the Ravens. That's They're probably going to lose that game. They'll probably beat the Giants because the Giants are just an absolute dumpster fire. We'll get to them in a second. Then they play the Cowboys after that. Then they play the Giants again. So, other than the Ravens game that they played, I think they'll be okay. The Steelers game is going to be a tough one. The Giants game, they should win. The Cowboys, they should win. And then they play the Giants again in middle of November. So, they should win that game. But these first two games are going to be these two games that they have upcoming between the Steelers and the Ravens. Are those are going to be tough games? So it wouldn't surprise me if they end up dropping two games in a row after beating the 49ers last week. So if I had to give them a grade, I'm just going to give them a D. I'm not giving them an F because they're technically in first place, even though that this whole division is just garbage. So we'll move on to the next team. We'll move on to the Cowboys. So the Cowboys are currently one and three. And I'll say this for a one and three team, they're lucky to have a quarterback like Dak Prescott. I mean, Dak has played pretty consistent so far this season. He has thrown a couple of interceptions. And in that Seattle game in particular, he's thrown them at inopportune times. I remember that one game. I remember that one series that he was playing against Seattle. He ended up throwing an interception with about a minute and a half left in the first half. And then Seattle was able to convert that into a touchdown before halftime. But really outside of that, I thought Dak Prescott has played pretty phenomenal. I mean, he's had to really dig his team out of multiple holes just because the defense is just, I mean, the defense is like Swiss cheese. I mean, they've given up 146 points in four games. And it's just, it's surprising to say the least. Now, you could say that, well, they're going up against decent offenses. They've gone up against the Rams, the Falcons, the Seahawks, and the Browns. I can understand giving up 38 points to the Seahawks because the Seahawks are arguably the best team in football. I mean, you can make a case for them. I don't know if they're the number one favorite, the number one team per se, but you could definitely make a case for them. But to give up 49 to the Browns the week after you just gave up 38 to Seattle is unacceptable. And, I mean, Dak had to dig them out, and Dak ended up throwing for 500 yards and trying to lead a comeback against the Browns. Didn't prove to be enough. And also, with the defense giving up so many points, it takes Zeke out of the run game. The defense is really the issue here because they just can't, get into a rhythm with Ezekiel Elliott running the ball. Because if the offense isn't producing points, the defense is sure as hell giving them up after the offense doesn't score. So the main thing that they're going to have to focus on is fixing this defense because until that's fixed, they're not going anywhere. It doesn't matter how many yards Dak throws for. It doesn't matter how many touchdowns Dak throws for. None of that matters until that defense gets fixed. So if I have to give them a grade, 
I'm going to give them a D. They're they're lucky they're not getting an F, but I'll, I'll give them a D for right now. And I mean, they have a couple of decent games coming up, but with that defense, I mean, they could lose all of them because of that defense. So moving on, we'll go on to Washington. They currently have the same record as the Cowboys. Now with this team, I'll be honest with you, this team really doesn't this team doesn't really shock me with where they're at. They're one and three. They have Dwayne Haskins, and I know this is Ron Rivera's first season coaching with the Washington football team. So he's still adjusting to the personnel that he has on the team, even despite the fact that he's going through cancer treatment, which is just another battle entirely by itself. So I I appreciate the effort of him just being on the sideline every game day and just fighting through it because that guy is that guy's a trooper right now. So I give him a lot of credit. I wish his team would fight a little bit harder for him. Just it's just not getting it done on the scoreboard. Outside of week one, they've lost three straight. They played played the Eagles in week one, won that won that game. Then they played against the Cardinals, Browns, and the Ravens, and those teams are no pushovers. So, and just looking at their schedule coming up, they do have some games that they could win. I think. That Rams game that they play next week is going to be a difficult one. I think they have a ch- I think they have a pretty good shot to beat the Giants the week after. They'll definitely be competitive with the Cowboys since that Cowboys defense is atrocious. And then they play the Giants again. So I could see them possibly winning two or three games in this next stretch. And in, in this division with how trash it is, they could be in first place if the Eagles stumble over the next couple of weeks. So kind of the same grade that I'm going to give the other two teams I'm going to give them a D just because they're one and three to start the season and just, just not doing much to impress me. So, and then we move on to, I said the other day that the jets were the worst team in football. I should have said arguably because when I look at what the giants have done, they are the worst team in football. They're and four and I understand that Saquon Barkley is out for the season. And I understand that he is a large focal point to that offense. But they've played four games, and they've scored 47 points as an offense. Just to kind of put things into perspective, Washington has 79. And the other lowest scoring team in the NFL is the Jets. And I believe they had 65. The Giants have 47 points in four games. They're averaging... Off the top of my head, if my math is right, they're averaging 12 points a game on the offensive side of the ball. That is atrocious. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if this team loses every game. It really wouldn't. Because on the offensive side of the ball, they're just not getting it done. Daniel Jones, I'll say this with Daniel Jones. Whenever there's a key situation in a game, he is likely to throw an interception or cause a turnover. And it doesn't help when his offensive line isn't helping him because half of the game he's just running for his life, trying not to get sacked. And I I do kind of feel bad for Jones in a sense just because his offensive line is just not helping him out. So he's pretty much just running out of the pocket just to evade some sort of pass rush. And, I mean, defensively, they've played okay. 
Defensively, that's probably the best thing I could say about this team. Outside of giving 36 points to the 49ers, which giving up 36 points against the 49ers with a bunch of backups in is unacceptable. But they played competitive against the Rams last week. I thought they were competitive against the Bears. And they held the twenty and they held the Steelers to twenty six points. So the defensive side of the ball, you could say, okay, they're making an effort, but that offensive side of the ball is just not getting it done. And I don't really expect that I don't really expect it to moving forward. So they have the Cowboys coming up next. They have Washington after that. Then they have the Eagles. Then they play the Bucks. I'll say this. They they got a I'll give them a shot. But I think they're going to lose all four games. They're definitely losing that game to the, to the Bucks. They're probably going to lose to the Eagles. The only team I could see them beating is probably Washington. Because I think the Cowboys offense is going to be too much for the Giants defense. And I just don't think the Giants are going to score enough points to keep up with the Cowboys. So I think if we end up doing another report card four weeks from now, I think they're going to be probably either 0-8 or 1-7. The grade is pretty easy on this one. I'm giving them an F. And it's going to be, it's going to take a lot for them to really turn this around. And I just don't think it's going to happen this year. So we'll move on to the NFC West. Now, this is probably the best division in football. It's kind of a flip of the coin here. So we'll start with the Seahawks. They are a perfect 4 0 to start the season. And I mean, what else could I say about Russell Wilson? Russell Wilson has been absolutely dominating the start of the season. They've looked spectacular on the offensive side of the ball, even despite the fact they had, that they had no preseason. They've scored 38, 35, 38, and 31 points in the first four games of the season. I, I don't have the stat. I don't have the stat off the top of my head, but I would if I had to say just based off the point uh, the point totals. They are probably the number one offense. They're averaging probably close to 35 points a game, if not higher. The only thing that I will say about the Seahawks, though, is their defense needs to get a little bit better. They're giving up way too many points. They gave up 25 in the first week. They gave up 30, 31, and then 23 after that. They gave up 23 to the Dolphins last week. The Dolphins are not that good of a team. So they're going to have to definitely work on that defensive side of the ball because Russell Wilson can only keep this up for so long. It's going to get to a point where opposing defenses are definitely going to try to disrupt Russell Wilson in some sort of way. And that defense is going to have to stand up if Russell Wilson doesn't have a day where he's throwing for 300 plus yards and three touchdowns. Outside of that, I think the team's looking fairly good. The offense is looking solid. Tyler Lockett's had a good start. Same with DK Metcalf. I think if, if they run the ball a little bit more with Chris Carson... I think that'll be good. It'll at least create some balance with that team. But you can make a case that this is the best team in the NFC. I'm not going to go that far to say that they are. I understand that you can make the case. I'm just, I'm I'm not of that mindset. But I know some people who would. But as far as their grade is concerned, I'm going to give them an A. They are, they are looking good so far. And as long as they continue this, they should be at the top of the NFC when all said is when all said is done by the end of the season. We'll move on to the Rams. They are currently three and one. And I'm gonna be surprised I'm gonna be honest with you. I was actually surprised at how well the Rams have started this season. 
It seemed like last year that some people were maybe starting to figure out Sean McVay a little bit. However, he has completely flipped it this year, and they've started out on a pretty good roll. Beat the Cowboys in Week 1, beat the Eagles in Week 2. Lost a really close game against the Bills. I mean, the Bill, the Rams had a hell of a comeback in that game. And then Josh Allen was able to lead the Bills down the field for a late-scoring touchdown to win them a game. But the, the Rams could honestly be 4-0 at this point. I know they kind of played down to their competition in Week 4 against the Giants, but they still left with a win. There's not really much for me to say here. I think as long as Jared Goff keeps playing the way that he has – doesn't turn the ball over and the defense plays like they have. This team could get pretty far. This team, I don't know if they're going to win the division. I would probably give that to the, the Seahawks right now. But this team could definitely play spoiler, you know, for the Seahawks moving forward if the Seahawks end up winning the division. So I'll just say this. The Rams definitely have a shot to win this division. But we'll see how things go. They have... A good matchup against the against Washington next week. They got the 49ers after that. They got the Bears and the, the Dolphins. So they could honestly win all of these games. I do think that that 49ers game is going to be tough just because it's a divisional game. But I see I could see a scenario where they win all four. They would be 7-1 and one at that point in the season. So things are looking good for the Rams. If I have to give them a grade, I'm going to give them an A-. And they've been quite a shot to me, so... A minus for them is pretty solid. We'll move on to the Cardinals next. They're two and two. The first two weeks they looked amazing. They they looked amazing. Kyler Murray had a hell of a start, and he immediately started locking in with DeAndre Hopkins. At this point, it would probably be an understatement to say that DeAndre Hopkins is Kyler Murray's number one option, and the chemistry seems to be working so far. So the offense has been clicking so far the defense has been okay they've they usually give up somewhere in between about 20 25 points but the last two weeks they have dropped games against the lions and the panthers and i was with the, that panthers lost i i wasn't surprised that they lost that game just because i thought today bridgewater was actually going to have a good performance and he ended up having that but that lions lost at home that one was quite a shocker. I was not I was not thinking that the Lions were going to walk into Arizona and come out of there with a win. So, I think if this team won that Lions game, they'd be 3 and 1. I'd probably give them a B plus if they were 3 and 1, but since they're 2 and 2 and they've been kind of slacking off the last 2 weeks, I'm going to give them a B minus. I think this team is still growing. I think Kyler Murray is still developing, but there are definitely signs that he, this team is moving in the right direction, and they have some decent matchups coming up in the next two weeks. They play the Jets and the Cowboys, and they should be able to win those games as long as Kyler Murray doesn't turn the ball over. So I'll give them a B- minus for now. And then the 49ers, to kind of wrap up the NFC West, I'm going to be a little bit lenient with the 49ers just because they've had so many injuries. But... Even with those injuries, they beat the brakes off the Giants in Week 3. And then they were competitive against the Eagles. The Eagles had nothing to lose in that game because if they lost that game, they would have been 0-4. And the 49ers were in striking distance. They had a Hail Mary. Ended up getting knocked down at the end of the game. So they were competitive that entire game. Just, just couldn't win. So 
I think really once this team gets back to full strength, they'll definitely be a team to consider moving forward. I just don't know how quick they're going to get all of their players back from injury. Some of them, are, they're not going to get back. But if they can at least shore up the offensive side of the ball, I think they'll be okay. I mean, they play the Dolphins next week. They should be able to win that. And then they got two tough matchups next. After that, they got the Rams, the Patriots, and then the Seahawks. And that's three tough matchups. And then they play the Packers and the Saints. So the 49ers are definitely going to have their work cut out for them in the next couple weeks. So if I'm going to give them a grade, I'll give them a C plus just because they're two and two. And with all the injuries, I'll be a little bit lenient with them. I'll give them a C plus. I mean, it's a lot better than anybody from the NFC East. So the lowest grade that I gave to the NFC West was a lot higher than any grades I gave for the NFC East. So it really goes to show how stacked that NFC West division is. That's, that is probably the best division at this point in the in the league. All right, then we'll move on to the NFC North. We got the Packers and the Bears, the Vikings and the Lions in this division. So the Packers have been outstanding, to say the least. They just won their Monday night matchup against the Falcons last night. So Aaron Rodgers has been absolutely spectacular. He hasn't, hasn't really turned the ball over. Aaron Jones has been solid so far. He's, he's getting good touches. He's had a couple hundred-yard games to start the season. The offense is just clicking. They scored 43 points the first game, then 42, 37, and then 30. So this team is really is really clicking. I think Matt LaFleur has been quite a coach for this team. I mean, they went to the NFC Championship last year. I know they lost to the 49ers in pretty embarrassing fa- fashion. But so far this season... They've started out well, and I expect them to continue to do that. They do have the Bucks to play next week, so the Bucks will definitely be a challenge to them. I, if I had to say, that's really a toss-up at this point. I don't really know who I would pick yet, but that'll probably be the best game of the week for Week 5. Then they play the Texans, the Vikings, and the 49ers. They should probably win those games, so there's a very there's a very good chance that they're going to be either 7-1 and or possibly even 8-0 and by the halfway point of the season. So if I had to give them a grade at this point, I'm going to give them an A+. This team has been spectacular, and I think they keep playing like this. They could end up definitely at the top of the NFC and possibly getting the first round by if they play at this level. With the Bears, they're currently 3-1. and one. And this team has been quite a surprise to me just because I didn't expect this team to really be that big of a force moving forward. However, the first four games of the year, they've been they've been solid. They beat the Lions in a divisional matchup week one. They beat the Giants in week two. Had a huge comeback against the Falcons where Nick Foles ended up coming in for uh, Mitchell Trubisky. And like Foles magic again, led that comeback against the Falcons. And it might just be because the Falcons can't even hold the lead. So... Even that, I'm that I might have to grade that one on a curve, but and then they lost a competitive game. They lost a competitive game against the Colts last week, so I'm just really surprised that this team is three and one. I honestly thought that this team was either going to be two and two or one and three after the first four weeks of the season, but they've surprised me. 
And moving forward, they they got they have the Bucks, they have the Panthers, the Rams, and then the Saints. So they've got they've got some tough matchups moving forward here. So it wouldn't surprise me if if they they may lose all three or four games coming up. These are really good teams that they're going up against. So I think the best case scenario is they split these next four games coming up. At that point, they would be five and three at the halfway point. I think that would probably be their best case scenario. I think worst case scenario is they're either four and four or three and five if they lose all of them. I don't think that they will, but going up against these teams, they they may possibly end up three and five after these next four weeks. But looking at their grade right now, if I had to say, I'm gonna give them an A minus. I'm just I'm genuinely surprised by their by their performance so far, and I'll give it up to Nick Foles, man. Nick Foles has come up the last. I know he lost last week, but. I think if Nick Foles continues to play at a decent level for these next couple of weeks, I think they'll be okay. But we'll see how it goes, despite those tough matchups coming up. We have the Vikings up next. Oh, boy. With the Vikings. I don't even know where to start with them. There are some weeks where Kirk Cousins is fine, and then there are some weeks where he's he's god-awful. There are some weeks where... The defense, I honestly, I thought the defense this year was going to be a lot better, and they're getting absolutely run over in every single game that they've been in. I mean, the Colts in week two scored the least amount of points against them, and they almost scored 30 points. The other games that they played, they've given up 31 to the, I'm sorry, they gave up, actually, scratch that, they gave up 20, 23 to the Texans. I was looking at that wrong. I thought the Texans scored 31. So the least amount of points that they've given up is. 23 against the Texans. But the defense is an issue. Kirk Cousins has been inconsistent. I do think that Kirk Cousins is probably missing Stephon Diggs a little bit. But I think the addition of Justin Jefferson on the receiver side of the ball is going to help them moving forward. It may just be some early season hiccups with the Vikings, but they needed to get it together because they play the Seahawks this this upcoming week. That is going to be difficult for them. Then they play the Falcons, the Packers, and the Lions. I think best case scenario is they go two and two in these next four games. At that point, they would be three and five. So they would they'd be struggling for a playoff spot at that point. But this team really needs to get it together because these first four four weeks have been have been an eyesore to say the least. So if I'm going to give them a grade, I'm going to give them a C minus. I thought this team would be more competitive, but Kirk Cousins and the defense have been. Struggling to say the least. And then the Lions. Honestly, the Lions really weren't that exciting to me anyway. Matt Patricia really hasn't done anything. Anything that really give me some sort of excitement for this team. I mean, Kenny Galladay coming back a couple weeks ago against the Cardinals, I guess, was something. But outside of that, this team is pretty much performing exactly how I thought they would be. Inconsistent play from either Matt Stafford or the defense. And they're one in three. Honestly, I thought they could have been 0 and four. I'm surprised that they actually won that game against the Cardinals. If they lost that game, they would have been 0 and four. So moving forward, they play the Jaguars next, the Falcons, the Colts, and the Vikings. There are some winnable games for them. I think as long as the defense is able to 
keep it under 20 to 25 points a game, I think they'll be okay. If Matt Stafford doesn't turn the ball over, I think they'll be fine. But I just don't really see this team going far this year. They're probably going to end up 7-9 and nine or 6-10, and 10, somewhere around there. So if I had to give them a grade, I'm just going to give them a D. They're just not that exciting to me, and I don't really expect anything major from them this year. So then we move on to the to the last division in the NFC, which is the NFC South. We'll first start with the Bucks. The Bucks are currently three and one, and they're on a three game winning streak. So the one thing about Tampa is I remember after Week One, there were a lot of people freaking out that the Bucks were possibly in some sort of buyer's remorse mode after Brady had a pick six against the Saints in week one. The offensive chemistry just wasn't there, and the team looked out of sorts. Since then, they've won three straight games against the Panthers, the Broncos, and the Chargers, and Brady has looked spectacular, to say the least. So the only thing I could say really about Brady that Brady probably needs to improve upon it's just giving up the pick sixes. He's had four pick sixes in the last six games. Obviously, he's got to do something about that. But that that game that he had against the Chargers last week, he was spectacular. Threw five touchdowns to five different receivers. And it seems like the chemistry aspect is definitely improving with Brady and the receivers. I think the defense has been, has been pretty solid so far. Pretty much... T- held the Broncos in check, only gave up 10 points in week three. They held Teddy Bridgewater and the Saints to 17 points. And then they did get into a little bit of a shooting match between the Chargers last week. So I thought Justin Herbert played pretty well against them. So I do think that defense probably needs to improve on some things, but I think they'll be okay moving forward. They play the Bears next. I think the Bucks win that game. Then probably the matchup, and really the test for the Bucks is going to be between them and the Packers. That'll be a great game to watch. Then they play the Raiders and the Giants after that. The Bucks should win those games as long as they don't turn the ball over and they don't play sloppy defense. So I think moving forward, I think they could probably be either 6 and 2 or 7 and 1 by the midway point of the season. Giving them a grade. I'm going to give them an A minus. They played really well the last 3 weeks and if they continue to play like this, they should be fine moving forward. I don't know if they're going to be the number one seed coming out of the NFC, but they'll probably either be either two or three by the uh, by the end of the year. It, it does depend on what the Saints do because if the Saints end up making a run, they will definitely be vying for that second or third seed in the NFC. So move move on next to the Saints. The Saints are currently two and two. I mean, after that Bucks win, a lot of people were very high on the Saints, but They've been kind of hit or miss the last couple of weeks. The um, They lost a surprising game to the Raiders in Week 2. Gave up 34 points. Now, granted, that was a road game, so I'll give them a little bit of leeway, but surprised to say the least they lost that game. Lost a close game with the Packers. I'll give them a little bit of leeway there because they are playing the Packers. The Packers have been absolutely fantastic, to say the least, to start the season. And then they started out slow against the Lions, but they ended up making a good comeback. And then won that game against the Lions 35-29. to I do think that this team, once they get Michael Thomas back and they get him involved, I think this offense will start flying on all cylinders again. So I know Alvin Kamara's been getting a lot of touches and 
He's been living up to that contract extension that he got. So as long as they give him the rock and he does what he does, I think they'll be fine moving forward. They play the Chargers, the Panthers, the Bears, and then the Bucks In the next four weeks, definitely some winnable games here. I think more than likely they're probably going to be 5-3, and three, maybe 4-4 four and four in the next four weeks. So I think they'll be okay moving forward. If I had to give them a grade, I'm going to give them I'll give them a B minus. They've had some injuries that have slowed them down, but I think with Drew Brees running the home, I think they'll be okay. So then we move on to the Panthers. The Panthers are currently two and two. I think for Teddy Bridgewater, he's been he's been consistent. I think he hasn't really been I wouldn't say he's been absolutely fantastic like Aaron Rodgers or Brady has, but Bridgewater's been consistent and really hasn't been turning the ball over that much. So I think as long as he is able to limit his turnovers and just limit the amount of mistakes moving forward, I think they'll be fine. I think the uh, I think the biggest win that they've had of the season so far was probably against the Cardinals last week. A lot of people were very high on Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, but the Panthers went into week four and ended up winning by 10 points against, against the Cardinals. And then the other two games that they lost between the Bucks and the Raiders, I mean, they were fairly close games. I mean, the Panthers were competitive in that Raiders game and in the Bucks game. So the best thing I could say about the Panthers is, is that they've been competitive in all four of the games. They should probably win against the Falcons next week. However, is it is a divisional game, so you never really know where they're, where that one could go. Then they put the Bears, the Saints, and the Falcons after that. So they do have some divisional matchups coming up. I think the best case scenario for them is they go two and two. And then at the halfway point, they would be four and four. So that's where I think they'll probably end up being is around four and four. Worst case scenario, I think they're three and five, but it would be hard for me to see them being three and five at the halfway point. So if, gonna, if I'm going to give them a grade, I'm going to give them a C plus. I think if they if they're able to get the offense going a little bit more. I think once they get Christian McCaffrey back, I think they'll be fine. But until then, if they can find a way to generate some offense from Teddy Bridgewater's arm or from the running game or the receivers, that'll definitely help them moving forward. But I'll give them a C plus for now. And then we move on to the last team, which is the Atlanta Falcons. Oh, boy. All right. What can I say about the Falcons? That's nice. I'll start with the nice things first with the Falcons. The offense has been okay. They scored 39 points against the against the Cowboys, scored 26 against the Bears, and they scored 25 against the Seahawks. So the offensive side of the ball is not really the issue here. It is the defense. The defense has been the main issue here. So they've had multiple games where they've had leads and they just cannot hold them especially that Cowboys game where they were up 29 to 10 and ended up losing the game. I think it was to a game winning field goal. And don't even get me started with that onside kick that they basically just let Dallas sit on. I mean, if you watch the replay, the guys are just standing there watching the ball get to the 10 yard line. And the, the ball was just rolling. I mean, it was like the slowest ground ball that you could get for a hands team 
and they just kind of let it roll 10 yards and then let the Cowboys sit on it. So it if they had just sat on the ball, they would be 1-3 right now instead of 0-4. I'm really surprised at this point that Dan Quinn hasn't been fired yet. If he hasn't been fired by the end of the week, he will probably be fired at some point during the season, probably within the next two or three weeks if they keep playing like this. They play the Panthers next week, then the Vikings, the Lions, and then the Panthers again. The best case scenario with the Falcons is, is they win all four of these games. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if they do, I think if they end up four and four based off of the first four games of the season, that would be a miracle for them. I think for them, they're probably going to lose to the Panthers once, and then that Vikings game is a toss-up. The Vikings are at home, so I'd probably give the edge to the Vikings. So, I think moving forward, best case scenario is obviously four and four. But I think realistically, I think they're probably going to be more like two and six or one and seven. I think it really just kind of depends if if these guys keep want to want to keep playing for Dan Quinn. It's just at this point, I'm really surprised that he hasn't been fired yet. I know Bill O'Brien from the Texans got fired the other day, and it would seem to me that him with Dan Quinn and then Adam Gase with the Jets are probably on the chopping block next, but we'll see how the next couple of weeks go for the Falcons. If I had to give them a grade, I'm giving them an F. They're they're just not playing well, and I just don't really see a lot moving forward with this team. So that'll wrap up the report cards for the AFC and the NFC. I hope you guys enjoyed that. So... We'll probably do another one of those maybe around the halfway point of the season. Just kind of depends. I might do like a power ranking instead. It just kind of depends on what kind of mood I'm in. So we'll move on to a little bit of pop culture here. And unfortunately, we'll start off with some rather sad news with the passing of Van Halen guitarist Eddie Van Halen. Died at the age of 65 due to a long-term battle of cancer. And for me personally, it, it, it did hit me a little bit different because Van Halen was really like the first band that I gravitated towards in rock music. I think it was really because of Eddie Van Halen. Just the style in which he played the guitar, it, I remember like the first time I ever listened to Van Halen it was actually, now that I remember it, I remember my brother and I, I remember we used to play Guitar Hero a lot. And I remember when they came out with the Van Halen version of that game, played that nonstop. I mean, as soon as I would get home from school, I remember I'd play that game for probably like two or three hours just because I loved playing that game. But it was after that where I would understood all of the songs. And there were some songs that I liked from playing the game. I think I was just more focused on getting good scores and possibly getting like a hundred percent on each song. But I want to say probably by my freshman or like sophomore year in high school, I just was just starstruck by Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing. And if you guys are listening, you guys can't see, but I'll end up putting this on YouTube. There is a giant Van Halen poster right next to my bed. And it's their first album. It's their debut album from 1978. And it is one of the best guitar albums in rock and roll music. And 
I remember I used to listen to that album on my dad's old laptop. This this was back when I was living in Connecticut. And I remember there would be days where I would just sit at my dad's laptop and I would just play out that album over and over and over again because I just I just love that album. I, like I remember like when I would listen to Eddie Van Halen solos, like it was kind of like those like jaw-dropping moments like where 15 or 14 year old me was just amazed that someone could play the guitar like that. It's just, there, there were some points where just literally I'm like, my jaw would hit the floor and it's just, it, it, he was one of those people that really impacted me in, in really just in the sense of music. There've been very few people in music that have really had that type of impact on me, but with Eddie Van Halen, he definitely did. And it was definitely sad to hear the news that he passed away today. So I believe he was 65. So I know he'd been dealing with cancer for a couple of years. So it, it, it didn't come as a surprise to me, but still when the news hit the wire that he died, it, I definitely took a minute to kind of like take it all in. So, but I appreciate all of the songs that he played, all of the guitar solos, all the guitar riffs and, I still play them all the time just because I love listening to the way that he played the guitar and those songs will live on forever as far as I'm concerned, which moves us on to our last topic. It is possibly the worst music list I have ever seen when it comes to music artists out of California. So I, I looked this up on Ranker. So Ranker is a website where you can look up lists and there was a list of music artists that come out of California. So they had like, I mean, you could think off like top of your head, like you have like Kendrick Lamar, like Dr. Dre's Snoop Dogg, the Beach Boys, Van Halen, the Eagles. I mean, there's a bunch of talent that comes out of California. So I look up this list and there are there are some groups in here in the top 10 that I think are definitely worthy of being in the top 10 but it is it's ridiculous that some some of these groups are left out of this list just because there are some iconic groups like the Eagles and Van Halen who are probably one of the more probably more of the influential bands coming out of California and they didn't even crack the top 10 in this list. So I'm pulling up the list right now. So they updated this list in July 15, on July 15th, just a couple months ago. So I'll go down the list and you guys can take it from here. So number one, they have Tupac. Two, they have the Beach Boys. Three, they have Snoop Dogg. Four, they have Metallica. Five is Dr. Dre. Six is Kendrick Lamar. Seven is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Eight is the Doors. Nine is Guns N' Roses. And then 10 is Green Day. So just looking at this list, the omission of the Eagles and the Van Halen and Van Halen is unacceptable. Those guys are honestly probably, you can make a case that both of those groups are probably in the top five. So 
I mean, th- there are some other groups that got left out. I mean, you can make a case for a lot of these. All of these are really subjective. Rage Against the Ma- Machine was 21. Journey was 19. You could, if you want to throw in Lincoln Park in there, that's fine. I don't, I wouldn't, but I guess you can make a case for them. So what I did was I ended up doing my top 10 of the best artists coming out of California. And I'll, and I'll go down just in from 10 to one. So at number 10, I have sublime number nine. I have Kendrick Lamar at number eight. I have guns and roses at number seven. I have Snoop Dogg at number six. I have Metallica and number five. I have Dr. Dre at number four. I have Van Halen three. I have the beach boys number two. I have Tupac and number one, I have the Eagles. And the reason I have the Eagles at number one is because the Eagles probably outside of maybe Michael Jackson have the highest selling album of all time. And there are a lot of people that say, well, you know, album sales don't matter. Their album sales are just based on how many people buy it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter necessarily that they make good music or not. I'm like, they're, their greatest hits, and that was their album that was either second highest or first highest all time when it comes to all time selling albums, is regarded as one of the best records ever, just based off of the fact that they have so many hits throughout their career. And at that point, they didn't even have that many albums out. I think they only had like four or five albums out at the time, and they already could put a, a greatest hits record together which is just incredible throughout that time. I mean, you could look back probably at other music groups like the Beatles. The Beatles are probably the biggest band of all time. And their their greatest hits record is probably two or three albums long just because everybody in that generation just loved the Beatles. But yeah, when I look at this list, to me, the Eagles are number one. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not even close. A lot of these other artists are definitely influential, and all of these people deserve to be on this list. But, yeah, when I just look at this list, to me, the Eagles are number one. And I'm saying that, and I didn't even grow up during that era. But I understand their influence, and I went to one of their concerts, and this is this is 40 years after they were pretty much done putting out albums during their prime run, and 40 years later, they were still selling out football stadiums. I, I, I don't know whether I've, I don't, I've never seen any hip hop artists or any really other than these bands sell out stadiums other than maybe Metallica and maybe Van Halen, but I don't even know if Van Halen ever sold out stadiums. I don't know if the Beach Boys ever sold out stadiums, but I sure as hell know that K- Kendrick Lamar has never sold out one, even though I love Kendrick Lamar. I've loved, pretty much every project that he's dropped he's never sold out a football stadium without some sort of help as far as like some sort of opening act on top of it i don't even know maybe guns and roses maybe could sell out an arena i i remember they were supposed to play at raymond james stadium at some point this year before covid came in now i don't know if they would have sold that stadium out but they would have been close but i know just speaking from experience based off of the Eagles concert that I went to, they sold out a football stadium. And this is 40 years after their prime run had ended. 
So I give it up to them, and they have some great they have some great records. If you guys ever have a chance to listen to some Eagles, I highly recommend it. So that'll wrap up episode six of the Home Field Podcast. So I want to thank you guys for listening in, and I appreciate everybody that's been tuning in to the Home Field Podcast YouTube page. I will definitely be putting up more content as the weeks go on there. And just to kind of give you a heads up for what episode seven will be, we will probably do a quick preview of game five of the NBA finals between the Heat and the Lakers. We'll do some week five NFL preview matchups. We'll, we may just go down a, a quick list of the games, maybe just hit up some scores and predictions, something along that, nothing too crazy. And then I'll probably find another list to get mad at. I, I think looking at this list was definitely fun for me, and it's always fun to get mad at a list. So once again, thanks, thank you guys for listening, and take it easy, you guys. Have a good one.